0: Okay, this morning we are talking about identity um, and here we go. Jesus help us. Um, let's jump in to John 1 12 and start there as we talk about identity this morning. So as you guys know, we, every year we take some time on intimacy, identity, inheritance. When Kate and I um, took this church in, shoot. 2014. Is that right? Good Lord. It hurts. Um 2014. Sorry, that was I just had a little bit of a life crisis, midlife crisis, I don't know. Just kidding. Everybody relax. Dear Lord. Um anyway, when we took the church in 2014, we uh, felt like one of the things we had opportunity to go on um, sabbatical and to pray, of course, into what God's heart would be for this place. And he commissioned us as a, to have these three pillars of the heart and life of our church, intimacy, identity, and inheritance. And our mandate was that no matter what, that we would never step off or step away from those foundational teachings and pieces and leading people into that, that we would say very simply, we ask the question, what do you look like fully alive in Jesus? And that we would say, and we would teach people how to walk into that through intimacy, identity, and inheritance. And so every year, we, for um, 10 years almost, we have been doing this, intimacy, identity, and inheritance. And so this morning, I get to bring the beginning teaching for our our month of identity. And I want to begin with John 1.12. And it says this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Yet to all who did receive him, this is speaking of Jesus Christ. And so I want to remind you, as I often do when we share on Sunday mornings, we are speaking to those we assume or believe are saying yes to following Jesus, that you are disciples of Jesus. But we also understand that in the room that there are those who may be new to following Jesus, or maybe you're asking questions about following Jesus. And so as you listen this morning, understand that my heart is to express love to you no matter where you are in that journey. But as I write my messages as a teacher, my heart is to teach disciples who are saying yes to following Jesus, how to walk in a more manifold reality of that relationship. And so in John 1, 12, it says, to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. And so if I'm a follower of Jesus, if I have given and surrendered my life and my heart and my inner being and my entire self to Jesus, then I am adopted into him and I am adopted into God. And so really to preach identity is to preach the good news of Jesus. It is to preach the gospel. Romans eight fifteen says, For you did not receive, and this is the verse that we read this morning as we begin worship, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. When we received him and when we believed in his name, we did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. In Galatians 4, 6, that's Paul. And Paul goes on in a different letter to echo the same thought. And he says, and because you are children, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is in us. And we cry out because of the Holy Spirit in us, we are able to cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit of the living God through belief in Jesus brings us into sonship and daughtership with God. And so because we are in Christ, we are in the Son. Because we are in Jesus, the Son, we are one, which means that we are grafted in and we are adopted in to family. 164 times in Paul's letters, he talks about being in Christ or in him. And for us to understand identity. It is for us to understand that being in Jesus, stepping into Jesus means that we are stepping into the son who has perfect relationship with the father. And we are now adopted in through Christ into perfect relationship with the father, which means that our identity is no longer based on what is around us, but our identity is based on sonship and daughtership through being in Jesus in relationship with the father. And that's why I say that to teach identity well is simply to teach the gospel and the good news of Jesus well. So where do you find your identity? And that's our question today. Do you find your identity as a beloved son or daughter or do you find your identity in your behavior? And so I want us to consider that this morning because answering that question is key to recognizing if we are living in our identity in Christ or if we are living out of a sort of false self that we project to God or to others to get love or to get acceptance or whatever else that we may feel that we need. So we're answering the question this morning. Are we living out an identity of beloved or are we living out an identity of earning and performing based on our behavior? And here's what I would love for you to do this morning. I wanna give you a few minutes to answer a question. And a lot of times I've noticed that when we're teaching, uh, we love to ask questions and then give people no time to answer them. Um, It's a form of control that is kind of gross. Um, And so what I've been wanting to do more within our gathering time is to create more community and connectivity within these things that we are considering. When we open the word, we should open the word together. When we are asking questions, we should be talking together and connecting around these questions and not just saying to the person up there, I don't know the answer, tell me the answer. Ask your fast questions, but give me no time to think about it, let's keep moving, right? No, we wanna pause for just a moment. And this is the question that I have for you to consider this morning. I talk about false self and I've mentioned that already a couple times in this message. And I want to know for you to take a couple minutes just to ask how would you define false self? or if I said the internal imposter, how would you define that? And how would you define secondly, secondly, how would you define the job of your false self? How would you define false self or the internal imposter? And how would you define the job of your false self currently? So let's take two minutes before you start talking to anyone around you. I want you to consider how you would answer these questions. And then in a couple minutes, I would invite you, if you're here with someone, you would share with them. If you're not here with someone, you know there is zero pressure for you to turn to someone that you just met like 30 seconds ago and tell them about your internal imposter, okay? (laughs) We're not, we're not doing that. But if you, if you are here with someone and you would like to discuss it, you can. Okay, so just take two minutes, look at these questions, and consider them for yourself. How would you define false self or the internal imposter? And how would you define the job of your false self currently? Based on how you define that. There's no right or wrong answers, and I'm not calling on anybody Okay, As you guys have taken a couple minutes to consider this, again, no pressure to share with anybody if you don't want to, but let's share with people around us and just discuss for just a minute how would they define false self or the internal imposter, and then if you do want to share a little bit more in-depth, you can dive into the second question. Don't have to. It's a rough one. It's a lot to consider right out of the gate. We just started doing this. So let's not push ourselves too far. How would you define false self or the internal imposter? Share that with somebody around you. Have a have a couple minutes just to discuss that, please. Thank you. Good job everybody. I know that's I know that's a deep dive. So take a few a few more minutes, not minutes. Take a little bit more time to come back together. Okay, so the question is obviously relating to this. How are we to walk in our true identity if we haven't learned how to release that false self and that imposture that we carry around with us? And so I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. I'm not sure why I just kicked into an accent. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about that. I swear I've lived in Southern Oregon my entire life. So many of us have been hindered in our relationship with God and in our relationship with others because we drag who we think he wants us to be or who we think others want us to be before him and we are learning and doing that to withhold our true self. So this is what we mean by living in our our, our false self. And (laughs) go ahead, I deserve it. I deserve it. You all done? You want some more? I got a lot more. I can't say false self for the rest of the morning. That's not going to work. So this is what we mean by living in our false self. And living in our false self can become so normal and so natural that we don't even realize that we are doing it. So what I mean by that is that we can build a relationship with God on a false premise, on performance. We can live in that place of saying, God, I know that this is who you want me to be and how you want me to be. So when I come before you, I will do everything I can to be this person when I come before you. Even if reality is that I am over here, in a place of whatever is truly going on in my heart and my life and around me. I don't believe I can get to a place where I don't believe that God wants to really see the mess or the true self. And so as I come to approach God or I step into a community like this one or I step into a relationship, I will think, what is it that they want me to be? And if I can figure out what they want me to be, I can project that person to them and then we can have relationship. And so if it's with another human, it makes sense. You have this awkward triangle going on where here's my true self. I don't think it's safe to come out or I don't think I'll be loved or I say things like if they really knew who I was or what I was like or my my past or whatever it is, they would reject me. Therefore, I I will give and say and be what they want me to be. And we can do that in relationship with people, but we can also, what I mean by, building a relationship with God on a false premise is that we can also do that with God, right? Religion and performance says, this is, this is how you need to be. So we go, oh, let's get all, let's get our life together. And we'll, we'll kind of give this false self to God because God is going to be pleased with me when I have it all together, even though none of us have it all together, right? And so what is important is that we learn to intercept this relationship with someone who doesn't exist and we learn to invite this relationship with who I truly am, where I truly am, no matter what it is that I'm going through or where I find myself in my journey with life. Does that make sense? As I'm sharing about that false premise or the performance. And this is what Jesus said to the Pharisees, those religious folks of his day who were, very keen on living life that way, not worried about what was really going on inside of them, but very much concerned with performing for God. And they thought if we can, they literally believed that if they could follow every single rule, that they could get God's favor and that the Messiah would come based on the people's ability to follow every single rule. Don't worry about your heart condition. Don't worry about what's going on in your life. Nobody wants to hear about your difficulties or your struggles or any of your questions or your your doubts or your tension. We don't want to hear anything about that. We just want you to follow the rules. Stop doing that. Follow the rules. And Jesus came into that, and he was concerned with one thing, people's hearts, right? And so he said to the Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. Which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and even and every impurity. In the same way, you appear to be righteous on the outside, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, I know this verse is extremely intense, and I'm not reading it to you because he didn't say it to you. But it is the intensity and the reality that I want you to grab onto because he was simply calling them out on the incongruity of their lives. What I am experiencing, what I mean by that is when what I'm experiencing doesn't line up with what I am believing or what I am teaching. It means that I'm living incongruent with God's truth. But I think many of us can live this way on a day-to-day basis, ignoring some areas of our life and emphasizing others. It becomes an identity shell game where we're always moving things around so we can distract over here and keep all the parts moving. And here I am, oh no, here I am, here I am. And we never slow down and stop enough to go to the deeper things. And we keep following the rules but it almost is following the rules and making sure that we have appearance. It almost becomes a distraction from what's really going on inside of us. And we're like, no, no, don't look here. Look over here. Woo, look at this, look at this. You know, we're tricking. Well, really, we're just tricking ourselves, but we're attempting to trick others. And we are attempting sometimes to even trick God. Keep moving, keep playing the parts. Fake it until you make it. I've heard too many people say about too many things. But what happens is that we bury the reality that we are privately contending with doubt or contending with sin or contending with whatever it might be. But that is the truth of who we are, that we are fighting. Every single one of us can be fighting things like shame and secrets, lies and betrayals, relationship breakdowns, self-medicating coping and numbing, getting our needs met in unhealthy or harmful ways to myself or to others. We're dealing with unresolved longings for unconditional love. We're dealing with disappointment and we're dealing with frustration. We're dealing with feeling abandoned or forgotten or alone or overlooked. I put something in my message this morning for the uh, English majors, so you'll get a kick out of this. It wasn't a total waste. Woo-hoo. Jeez, good Lord. That's a joke as well. I'm sorry. English majors are amazing. You're the best. I hope it's been useful and you've made tons and tons of money. (laughs) But anyway, here's what I put in here for you this morning. Love is not love which alters or bends. Oh, no, it is an ever-fixed mark that looks on the tempest, and is never shaken. William Shakespeare, Sonnet 116. That might be the only time you ever hear me use a sonnet. Look, Jarek, dude, it's all right, man. (laughs) He looks so disappointed in me. It's Shakespeare. (laughs) So the lines that Shakespeare wrote here, it just describes the reality that love should be constant and dependable and foundational. Shakespeare, even Shakespeare, knew that love should not change And that it should not be variable. Love should be a lighthouse that can ever be seen from afar wherever we are. As we say, or as Paul said, not we. As Paul said, love is patient. Love is kind. And as we read in 1 John, that God is love. So love is not love if it alters or bends. Love is an ever fixed mark. Or at least it should be. And in a healthy, a healthy family, or relationship, you know how love is defined. You know what love looks like and you know that you are going to receive love. Love is clear, it has boundaries, it is attainable or it is given freely. But unfortunately, the world and unhealthy families and our pasts and relationships, love is more often a moving target for us. It can change from one day to the next or it can, turns out, it can leave all together. And we are left with the questions and the fears And the doubts of saying, I thought love was fixed, but now I'm finding out that love is a moving target. Or if we were raised in a family or in an atmosphere where one day this is how love is given or earned or reciprocated and the very next day or maybe within an hour, it has changed. And we don't know what love looks like or what it means to receive love. And so we go from receiving it freely to saying, I will earn it. Just show me what it is that I have to do to receive love, and I can become that thing or that person. I just want to be loved. And when love becomes a moving target, we begin to change and adapt to earn it and to receive it. But when it is fixed, we can allow ourselves to be changed in the reflection of that love, and that's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of God in Christ. When love is not fixed... We will discover ways to earn that love. And because of that, we become anything that won't hurt. We won't get hurt and we can be accepted because it's safer that way for us. And we become like a chameleon. We become what our environment dictates, sometimes to hide, sometimes to be seen. Why? Because love was a moving target and that is painful. When love is a moving target, we learn to wear masks. We learn to become who others want us to be. We learn to become who we believe God wants us to be. But in doing so, we have a work self, an at-home self, an internet self, a party self, a church self, a bedroom self, and several other, several other, several other, other, I'm struggling this morning, y'all, several other selves that we depend on. Yeah, Okay, so let me do that again. (laughs) Uh, We learn to become who we believe God wants us to be, but in doing so, we have a work self, an at-home self, an internet self, a party self, a church self, a bedroom self, and several other selves that we depend on. But in having so many selves, it causes us to become fragmented instead of whole. And we are more concerned with our image than our identity. When we overemphasize the external while minimizing the internal. When we allow ourselves to fragment into many parts, depending on where we are, who we are with, or what we believe we need, living one way here, and another way here, and yet another way in secret. And when we draw life and meaning from any source other than, as we said at the beginning, the good news of Jesus, that we are sons and daughters and we are beloved. If we draw life and meaning from any source other than belovedness, we are spiritually dying. Brennan Manning is an author that I love, and I have uh, his book here, It's Abba's Child, and I found a few of them in my office and I just grabbed them so that if you want it, you can give it out. The book is uh, challenging and unique in a lot of different ways, but the, the part I would point you to is chapters one and specifically chapter two. If you if you would like a copy of Brennan Manning's book, uh, Alba's Child, they're up here for you, especially if you're in a place where you're like, I would love that book, but I can't afford it. We have it for you. You can come and grab it. But he says this, our imposter, our false self must be called out of hiding accepted, and embraced. We come to grips with our selfishness. We make friends with the imposter and accept that we are impoverished and broken. When we accept the truth that we really are and surrender what we really are and surrender it to Jesus Christ, we are enveloped in peace. With a graciousness and an understanding of human weakness that only God can exhibit, Jesus liberates us from alienation and self-condemnation, and I would add incongruity, and offers each of us a new possibility, freedom. 2 Corinthians twelve nine says this, Paul says, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. When I realize that I live in a false self or an imposter, I have these pockets of my life where I'm trying to be everything to everyone because love was not a fixed target for me and I learn to adapt and say, I will be this here and this here and this here and this here and I realize that I am living fragmented, as I said, more concerned with my image than my identity in Christ. I have to come to a place where I surrender that and say, God, I need you in that place. That is the weakness where your grace can become a strength. Hebrews 4 encourages us, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If I am living in a false self and someone says, hey, go to the grace of the king, go to the throne of the king, With confidence, I will be like, I cannot. Why? Because I am spending so much of my life fragmented, trying to be so many different things to so many people that I cannot come boldly and freely. Even though I have a high priest who's been tempted in every way that I am, I can't receive that invitation because I'm not who I truly am. And if I can say, Jesus, I wanna learn who I truly am so that I can answer the call to come to you freely and receive grace and mercy any time that I need. What inhibits us from coming boldly? What inhibits us from intimacy flowing, or out of our or for our identity flowing out of intimacy? So this morning, after my talk, you might be like, "I know what it is. It's my false self—that stupid, arrogant, lost, and confused self. That's who it is." And when we believe that, as I said. We don't want to bring that before God because we have shame or we have confusion or we have doubt. And we're like, I want to go to the Father, but I don't believe that I'm worthy to go there or I feel bad about the condition of my life. As I was writing this message, I had the image pop into my head from the movie Strange Brew because I'm such a deep scholar and intellectual and theologian. But in the movie Strange Brew, uh, anyone watched it? Yeah. Okay. Well, never mind. Never mind. You guys are all highbrow here. All right, no. Anyway, in Strange Brew, the two brothers they lost their dad's beer money. And they come home at night, and they their dad is like, hey, give me a beer out of the fridge. And they're like, they didn't bring in any home, or they didn't bring any beers home. And so now they're worried. And so they had just cracked a beer and they poured it into the dog dish. And as he's yelling, bring me a beer. And they go, oh no. And so they grab the dog dish and then they pour it into a glass. And then they're, he's like, where's my beer? And they're standing there and both of them are holding this glass of beer with dog food in it and just remnants of nasty. And it's the last beer in the house because they spent all their dad's beer money. And so they're like, you take it to him. And he's like, no, you take it to him. No, you take it to him. No, you take it to him. And I'm like, I'm, gonna, I'm not. I'm going to drop it. I'll drop it. I will drop it. And he was like, no, you won't. I'll drop it. And they go, and it breaks on the ground. Hilarious. Great movie. You should watch it. Um, <laughs> but I had that moment. I had that moment where, where the father is like, come to me. Come to me. I want to, sp- I want to spend time with you. And we're like, I'm not going. I'm not going, you go. Because we feel shame for like what we are doing or what we're carrying or what is going on. We're like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. You don't want to go. You go. No, you go. And we're like arguing within ourselves. Well, how do I present an image that I believe is pleasing to God that would allow me to feel free to go into his presence when all it is is he's just asking us to come into his image. Might be the worst sermon illustration I've ever done in my life. <laughs> but hey, at least you were here for it, huh? That's something. That's something. So as I asked, what is the problem? What is the problem that is hindering us from going into God? And we would say, it's my false self, I knew it. So what do we do then with our false self? What do we do with this false self? Do we annihilate it completely? And how do we annihilate it completely? Or is there something else that God would have us do with this false self? Should we hide it until we can destroy it? Should we hide it until we can control it? Should we hide it until we can bury it under layers of religious behavior? Religion says, deny your false self, overcome your false self, destroy your false self. But the truth is that the imposter, the false self, doesn't need to be put to death. It needs to be embraced. Because it is me, and it is you. And if we can come together, we being my projected image, and my true self, or whatever it is, if we can come together and come before the Father and receive that grace and mercy that he has for us, that healing begins to take place in integration, not in destruction of the false self, because the false self is you, and it is It turns out that we are not fighting between our true self and our false self. We are fighting between two halves of ourselves. And what the Lord is inviting us to do is to stop denying the existence of one and only receiving His love at the other. Because what is it that's going to heal us is when His love hits all those places, all those fears, all those doubts. All of the things that are inside of us, all of our mistakes, all of our shortcomings, all of our shame, all of that does not get left in the foyer. That was an old school word. It doesn't get left in the lobby of the throne room. We only get into the throne room if we bring our whole self. So we can't get in if we don't let all of ourself in. And so what we're asking is not for that false self to be destroyed. We are looking for that place of congruence as I talked about earlier. The Pharisees were so concerned with the external that they were not concerned with the heart and they were living incongruent, teaching one thing and living out another and I don't want that to be our reality. I want us to come together before the Father, whole beings, fully loved as I am, where I am, who I am and that will be the catalyst for us to discover our true identity in Christ. So Jesus reminds us of God's true feelings towards us. And I want you to think quickly with me through all of the interactions of Jesus in the New Testament. And just allow a few of them or specific ones to pop to your mind of him ministering to someone that didn't deserve it of sitting with someone who was a sinner of healing someone who needed to be healed of the woman with bleeding that just reached out and said if i could only touch the hem of his garment or the the leper who was afraid to even come before jesus or even look at jesus and would come to jesus just screaming i'm unclean i'm unclean don't touch me don't touch me and laying down in the dirt before him think of all of these interactions that he had with broken humanity and i want you to understand that jesus came to demonstrate the compassion that God the Father has for each one of us. And that in every single one of those interactions, it isn't a story about someone who was broken or forgotten or needing healing or something of that nature. It was us as well. And in each of those people, in each of those stories, we find ourselves... And we find Jesus reaching out and longing to make us whole and to be with us. If he came to demonstrate that, how much more is he wanting to touch our lives and release our identity to us this morning? The grace, the understanding, the compassion and the healing that Jesus offered to them, he also offers to us this morning. So religion says you must kill the imposter, but Jesus has compassion on us. His kindness leads us to repentance as Paul said in Romans 2 Romans 2:4. This morning I just want to declare that I believe as I've been praying for this morning of it to be a morning of revelation and and even deliverance as we are replacing lies with truth that I believe it is the love of the father that burns away and removes and restores and redeems and realigns and reconciles. Reconciles like a like a bank account the two parts of us back into one that we are reconciled, that we can come before him whole, even if it means bringing along the imposter and the false self that we have learned to hate. You will not get your identity by destroying part of yourself. You will regain your identity by walking a path before the father that I wanna talk about in just a moment but we need to come before him and say, this is who I pretended to be. I just wanted to be loved. I just wanted to be seen. I just wanted to be whatever it is that we have been longing for. So I invite you to close your eyes for just a moment. Holy Spirit, we invite you to move in this place. As we close our eyes, as we take a deep breath, as we just settle into this time of ministry, Sarah, I don't know if you have something you want that you can play for us or but you're welcome to come up here and and do that now. I wanna ask you a question real quick. This is just for your consideration. We're not going to turn this into a discussion. But it's just a follow-up. It's just a sort of a reflection on the questions earlier after we've had a couple minutes to talk. What's the most prominent disguise that you've worn in recent years? And why? Holy Spirit, search our hearts. Show us the masks, the, the disguises, the, the tricks we use to not be seen for who we truly are. And we just hold this out before you. And we release it to you and we come. And we walk towards your throne. I just want to talk about this converging path that I'm imagining as I was praying for this morning. So I just saw us walking on this path and we were, on a parallel path to the throne room and I saw this this path coming out and it formed a T and we were gonna walk up to that left-hand turn and we were gonna walk up to the throne room but as we walked up to it, our false self, our imposter, our actor, whatever it is, was walking up on the other path and we were meeting at that T that intersection at the same moment. And again, religion would shout, deny the existence of that false self and or destroy it or ignore it or say you can't you can't come where I'm going. But what I believe Holy Spirit wants to show us this morning is what it would look like for you to look that false self in the eyes right now. And that you would be filled with the same grace and compassion that Jesus came to demonstrate for us in every single one of the interactions with broken and hurting people who learned to earn love based on the world that they were given and born into, the love that was always moving, that was always changing. Needs that were never fixed Wounds that were piercing from childhood that left them in a state of feeling far behind everyone else. Crippled and broken and forgotten and dismissed, used, abused, sinners, and prostitutes that Jesus came to embrace. And that the spirit of the living God would just, would fill you with compassion for yourself and that you would put your arms out on the shoulders of your imposter or your false self or whatever you wanna call this half of yourself and you would look into those eyes and instead of having disdain or judgment or you are the one that makes everything so hard for me, you are the one I've been trying to hide from. You're the one I've been trying to hide from everybody. You're the one that slips up and makes mistakes. You're the one that pulls me into sin. You're the one. I hate you. I'm tired of you. Get out of my life. But instead of that response, that you would look into those eyes and have the compassion of Jesus. And he would say, I love you. I forgive you. I am you. Your story is my story. And when I withhold compassion from you, I only withhold compassion for myself. And when I withhold grace from you, I only withhold grace from myself. And when I withhold mercy from you, I only withhold mercy from myself because you are not false, you are me. And I would simply say to you that this morning that the healing that you desire isn't gonna be found right now in an embrace with the Father. It's gonna be found in this embrace at that intersection where you hold yourself close and you say, it's time to go to the Father. It's time to go to the Father. We have a saying around here that the beginning of healing is sight. Like when we finally behold something and we can be honest about it, we see it. That's the beginning point for healing. But I would say this morning that the culmination is embrace. Myself, my true self. And then having the honor as you continue to allow Holy Spirit to open this picture up before you. that you hold your full self in an embrace and that you have the honor now of walking your full self, your whole self, that, that part of you that has just simply learned, this is how I learned to survive. This is how I learned to receive love. This is how I learned to make it through life. Like, I'm sorry I'm not perfect. And you can say, it's okay, I know. I know what you've believed. I know what you've been through. And I thank you for protecting me. I thank you for trying to figure out ways to get love for me, but we don't have to do that anymore and I wanna introduce you to Jesus. And what goes from disdain for this part of myself becomes this beautiful walk where I get to bring this person, this part of me before Jesus. And this is the moment that I want you to picture that I believe spirit of God is ministry is that just for a moment there's two of you and you'd say Jesus I want you to meet me and as your imagination would pan to his face what do you see on his face as you ask him to speak what does he speak over you And as your imagination pans back to where there were two people standing before Jesus, now there's one. And those words are spoken over you. And that love is given to you. And that mercy that's promised us and that grace that is promised us is poured out upon you. You don't have to perform. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to hide. You don't have to let shame continue to tell your story. And for the final embrace that I imagined this morning as I was praying through this time, it's just Jesus coming off of the throne speaking words of truth and releasing grace and mercy. But like the father who waited for the prodigal son to come, Jesus just steps down and pulls you, just you, into that embrace. The beginning point of healing is sight. The culmination of healing is embrace. Embrace. And if there is one place that I can speak to you in this season of identity that I would say, find your identity there, it is in this embrace. Anything that wants to speak your identity, become your identity, or tell you what your worth is outside of this embrace is a lie. This, this is the place we find identity. Identity. Sons and daughters. So, as you stay in that as long as you want, and take time with Holy Spirit, and allow the Holy Spirit just to continue to minister to you and talk with you. If you want to write things down that that Jesus is speaking over you, if you want to write things down that you see in this. In this unfolding picture, I invite you to do that for a few minutes. We have time and space in here. And I, of course, wanna point you to the communion table. The life and the death, the resurrection, the enthronement and the outpouring of His spirit that is represented in this communion. That at some point this morning, as you just uh, receive ministry, from the Lord that you would uh, take communion, sealing what he is saying to you, sealing what he is doing in you in the completed work of Jesus this morning. Thank you, Jesus. That every road in you leads us home to the Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you are not interested in us killing part of ourself to get to you, that you want us to come in wholeness to you and that in coming in wholeness, it is your love that can finally land on every part of us that brings the healing and the identity that we have so longed for. Continue to minister, Holy Spirit.